Hello, welcome to Orion Talks. My name is Suat Çubukcu. I'm a senior fellow at Orion Policy Institute, and we have a distinguished guest today, Nina Kesag. Nina is a senior lecturer at the Department of Religious Studies and Inner Culture Theology at the University of Rostock in Germany. Welcome, Nina. Yes, hi, Suat. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks for coming. Uh, Nina, you recently published a fascinating book titled Religious Fundamentalism in the Age of Pandemic. So it's a collection of scholarly articles on the pandemic and its impact on religious extremists worldwide. Uh, would, you, would you please tell us to our audience about what motivated you to write and publish this book on COVID-19 and extremism? Yes, thank you very much for this um, opportunity. Um, in the year 2020, when the pandemic occurred, I was giving um, a seminar at the Department of Religious Studies um, called Religious Fundamentalism. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a scholar, but I'm also a teacher at the university. And it's very <clears throat> important for me to teach and to exchange with young people. And especially um, in terms of uh, this uh, very tough topic, religious fundamentalism, because everybody not only in public, but also in terms of the um, uh, students, um, they have uh, a specific understanding of what this concept might mean. And um, I received a lot of good feedback because I, um, um, I created uh, this seminar based on the literature of, um, for instance, Eileen Barker, a famous religious um, scholar from the US, and also, um, on the fundamentalism project from uh, Marty and Appleby. And um, this fundamentalism project has changed the understanding of um, religious fundamentalism um, um, in, in many means because it is, um, um, it, is, it is diving very deep inside of this um, concept and it is um, understanding fundamentalism from the perspective of a religious scholar. So this means, for instance, um, if you're looking uh, to the religion Islam, where I have uh, my focus on, um, you can see that um, there are, of course, some strict opinions within Islam, but um, and you can call them uh, fundamentalistic because they are based on fundamental um, uh, assumptions but that doesn't mean they are extremists at the same time. So fundamentalism mm -hmm. doesn't equate um, or is not to be equated with um, um, extremism. But in public, if we are looking at this uh, topic, uh, it's uh, every time uh, or most of the time people think that um, fundamentalism is the same as extremism. So it was important to make this difference um, at first. And then we looked um, at some uh, religions, for instance, um, uh, Buddhist um, uh, um, actors and religions, uh, um, uh, Judaism, and so on, and so forth. And we found out that um, there is um, a deep impact uh, on certain uh, believers who have a fundamentalist understanding or approach um, of their um, religion. And um, I thought it might be interesting for um, people beyond the university to see um, how um, these believers are influenced by the pandemic and how they would mm -hmm. react to the pandemic. And that's why I searched for some scholars and I was very lucky to find <laughs> some mm -hmm. scholars around mm -hmm. the world. And um, 
yeah, we uh, we didn't know each other, and we came uh, uh, and find out that we have a common and individual understanding of religious yeah. fundamentalism, and so we tried to connect it with this um, uh, with this topic of the, the pandemic and its influence. Yeah, that's amazing. So I I read your chapter. It's it's uh, it's amazing, and you highlight the misuse of the pandemic by the jihadist extremist groups and how mm -hmm. they galvanize their base. Um, can you? Can you explain how they do that? So how they use misuse the pandemic to actually uh, recruit new um, people and also galvanize and how they use it as a pretext for their, um, for their extremist behaviors. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, there are, um, beside my own chapter where I, um, we are doing research about um, the impact on uh, foreign fighters, former foreign fighters and uh, women who are uh, based until today in, uh, for instance, Al Hoa, who have been um, uh, departing their home countries for joining um, Daesh. Um, and um, I found out that um, these people are very uh, vulnerable um, due to uh, different uh, motivations. Uh, the former foreign fighters, because they came back from Daesh, they have been, uh, they, they found out that uh, it was not the Islam or the concept of um, a, a whole com a community they uh, have been hoped for, but that it was more maybe about uh, politics, money or violence and so on. Mm -hmm. And then they came back and, um, uh, sometimes they wanted to believe in something which they can't find, still can't find from the inner perspective in their, in their countries of origin. And then uh, when the pandemic occurred, they had the understanding that this is a sign from Allah. And if you are a believer and you are reading your holy scripture uh, word by word, you can find a lot of prophecies and maybe, you know, uh, um, yourself as well if you if you're a muslim believer i don't know so that in islam the prophecies uh, have a very high ranking and um if you read um the quran um from um uh, from this literalistic understanding you think that maybe you can uh, see some signs that allah wanted to show you the right way and so they um interpreted um, this pandemic as a sign from Allah that uh, only the believers would be safe and um, would not fall ill um, and uh, the others uh, might be killed. Um, and um, in terms of uh, the women who have been um, caught from the inner perspective in uh, whole, for instance, in these camps, um, they, um, they cannot go to their countries of um, origin and um, mm -hmm. they don't know what will happen to them and to their children. And this is a very uh, sad and also um, a very exciting situation for them. And um, some are still sticking to um, the ideology of Daesh and others um, don't know where to turn to. And um, based off, um, on a concept of uh, religious fundamentalism, you have uh, several possibilities, you know, you have, uh, have the possibility to, um, 
to, um, to escape from the world uh, via uh, fleeing to this kind of ideological um, understanding of what Allah wants for you, from you. Um, but on the other hand, maybe you could do something for Allah from this inner perspective and understanding um, inside of the camp as well. So um, this might be your opportunity for them to, um, to free themselves and also to empower themselves because when you're caught in a situation and you seem to be um, in the hand of somebody else, you want to gather some power and this gives you the power um, to know you are the interpreter of, um, of God's willing, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, actually you highlight this as a kind of divine punishment against disbelievers and their supporters. Yeah. Um, so it's a kind of narrative they use. Um, so what should the government or civil society do uh, should do to break this kind of narrative and what should be the kind of counter strategy uh, that we should pursue against mm -hmm. those kind of problematic discourse? Yes, this is a tough question because from my perspective, um, people tend to give easy uh, suggestions or answers to this uh, question and it is not an easy topic because um, you can say on the one hand, you have the possibility to, um, to give more transparency, uh, to, to impart more facts about the pandemic, and this is right. But if you are living um, in a very close and very narrow-minded uh, society, uh, you probably will not look over this fence, but you will look mm -hmm. inside of your group and inside of their, their media groups. And that's, that is, for instance, also a problem in terms of the women um, in a whole and the other um, retention camps, because they don't have these, or, and they don't trust the information from the, from the media, um, yeah. uh, because it is, uh, it is coming from the disbelievers. So uh, how could you reach them? For instance, a possibility might be that you start campaigns with the help of former foreign fighters and um, especially with the help of uh, women who have been a part of uh, Daesh. But um, from my understanding, it is also, um, or it, it, it could be a good idea to, um, to combine the knowledge of religious authorities um, who have another understanding of, um, um, of belief and also of um, the origin of the pandemic. Okay, um, okay, great. So you, you talked about how they approach the, um, the pandemic and also I'm also wondering of how they approach the government mandates like shutdowns, social distancing, vaccine and mask requirements. Uh, we see like so much tension, especially among the far right in the United States. And you observe the jihadist extremists. Uh, I'm just wondering, have you seen any kind of reaction to these kind of government mandates from these groups? Yes. And I think you can um, compare them very well. Because for instance, if you're looking at the chapter of um, Yaakov Ariel, um, uh, regarding um, the ultra-Orthodox and the Orthodox um, groups um, in Israel. 
um, you can see that um, they have the same goal. They wanted to change the state because they don't think that um, the state of Israel is built on the right principles, the right religious principles, but they are doing it in different ways. One group is complying with the current, with the contemporary uh, politics, um, and the other one is doing everything um, they can against it. And in the end, um, they both see that uh, the pandemic um, is um, something sent from God um, towards uh, the disbelievers, but at the same time, uh, they use other ways to, um, to express uh, their wishes and to express their ways and to come um, and, and um, uh, create another state. Uh, so that's why it might be very um, helpful and useful to um, create some tailored uh, uh, measures um, in terms of these uh, believers. They are both fundamentalists, but um, you cannot reach them in the same manner. Um, for instance, the one who engaged in the politics might be uh, more convinced to change their minds if you give them more power and if you, if you try to understand more the religious approaches, whereas the others make it very hard for you to uh, reach out for them because they're living in a very narrow circle and um, have not many um, contacts uh, to uh, the, the majority of the society. And if you're looking at the um, right-wing extremists, you can see um, it is working in the same way. So, so maybe the irony, if you, if you might use this word or are allowed to use this word in this context, is that although both groups uh, are hating each other, the uh, religious fundamentalists, or maybe here in this, uh, the, 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 mm -hmm. the orthodox um, uh, Jewish fundamentalists and the right-wing extremists are using the same narratives to gather more uh, people uh, and to, um, to not comply with society's uh, demands. And um, they are living in their own world and want to create an, an own, um, their own spaces uh, with their own rules, their own uh, gender um, expectations. They have the same in the end, you know? Yeah. They, uh, mm -hmm. This is, this is really, uh, it is uh, the irony of, of these movements that they have so many uh, comparable um, aspects, um, but of course, in the end, um, they are enemies uh, from, a, from a story uh, understanding. Um, but what unites them also is that they are um, coming together in an unholy alliance. You could maybe name it like this in order to fight towards uh, a democracy that they are not aware of and that, uh, and that they don't tolerate. Okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, as you, you summarize really well about the, their problematic attitudes, um, you know, and talking about, you're talking about the extremist groups, I'm, I'm just wondering whether religious groups like non-extremist religious groups can help us um, to prevent their misuse of the pandemic. Um, do you see any kind of potential on the religious groups? Yeah, we have 
I, I see some um, aspects that might be helpful, but I also see that it is not easy to win the hearts, as I might use mm -hmm. the Al-Qaeda phrase in this context for a scholarly assumption. Yeah. Um, so no, it's maybe too much irony in this uh, context. But um, if, you, if you want to convince um, a religious uh, actor, for instance, a priest or a pastor or whatsoever, um, to understand um, that uh, it is um, there's a necessity of um, for vaccination, and uh, for instance, um, uh, uh, like um, um, it was uh, written in um, the chapter about uh, Tibet. So you can see that. Um, when the Dalai Lama um, went on TV and said, we have to comply as Buddhist believers with um, the social lockdown, uh, wearing a mask, etc., all of these um, health uh, restrictions, um, people mm -hmm. complied and um, people followed his word. But the difference is that um, this is a religion um, that is dealing with contemplation and that is dealing with um, uh, with um, more balanced, maybe a more balanced um, soul and mind system. If you want to um, to work together with, um, for instance, uh, some imams, um, mm -hmm. this is also possible if it is uh, if they are not coming from a militant or a fundamentalist milieu, but also if you are working together with somebody coming from a militant uh, Islamic milieu. Um, as you perhaps know, I have done some field research in the uh, Salafi and mm -hmm. jihadist uh, scene uh, across Europe. And for instance, here is some example from um, an imam with an, um, uh, he has an Israeli background and is living in Germany. And I asked him, uh, so um, if, we want to do prevention work. And he was also very convinced to do prevention work. He, he uh, yep. actually did so because he was not a fan of the, um, of the jihadi concept of Islam or this interpretation, you have to say. Um, uh, how, how will you do it? And he said, I'm talking to people and I'm, um, I'm uh, citing, um, um, giving some quotations from the Quran and um, explaining that violence is bad. But if I would work together with um, the government, um, it would be a hard situation for me. On the one hand, it would be good for me because I would um, uh, gain a respect for my work. Uh, but on mm -hmm. the other hand, uh, people from um, my, uh, my milieu, my group would think um, I'm a traitor. And so, therefore, this, um, this is a very fine line. Um, I think that most of the puristic Salafist preachers are the best prevention workers I have ever met because they are so well aware of their religion and they are so authentic to do so. But on the other hand, they risk their own standing in the community and maybe also they risk their own lives. And do we want to go this far? Because if we want to trust people, they have to trust us as well. Otherwise we, 
we cannot, you know, we are not reliable uh, in our work and, and our um, ethics. And as a scholar, ethics is very important for me. And um, so yeah. this, is a, this is a problem. But nevertheless, I think that religious actors themselves are the best possible prevention workers because they know their holy scriptures. Uh, whereas, um, uh, for instance, if you're looking at the social workers, they know their, their social work and their, um, their strategies to help people coming out of um, an extremist milieu. And this is okay um, in terms of left-wing extremism. And this is practicable in terms of right-wing extremism or maybe in terms of conspiracy theorist mm -hmm. milieus. But it is a problem if people are coming out of religious communities because these social workers don't have a clue, don't have an understanding of the inner logic and um, the belief systems of these uh, religions. So yeah. therefore, it might be wise to introduce um, and to, um, to include uh, these religious actors somehow. Yeah, so you made a great point on, you know, the government reach out these imams and their preachers and, you know, they uh, actually reach out to the extremists and how this can undermine their legitimacy mm -hmm. uh, because of the, their affiliation with the government. So whom should be the, uh, the person or the organization and institution to reach out these religious communities or imams? Um, so they can actually, <clears throat> they can actually go to the field and, you know, do something well for, uh, for the society and, you know, and convince those who are actually um, thinking in a different way that misused the, in specific, the pandemic and also the government regulations. Yeah. Um, uh... Who should be uh, who should be chosen? Is this a question? Uh, yeah. So if the government is involved in reaching out these imams, you talk about it's problematic because they they can be seen as a traitor. Yeah. So who should actually galvanize these religious figures so they can go to the field and you know do something good for uh, for their religion, for their communities, and also mm -hmm. whole society. So as a religious scholar, I would suggest to involve some religious scholars because we know the religion mm -hmm. well. Yeah. But um, maybe we, will, we would do it uh, on a more scientific um, uh, niveau, uh, a level, uh, uh, sorry. We would do it on a more scientific uh, level. But if you want to um, include an imam or a Christ, for instance, if you're looking at the Orthodox um, Christ fundamentalists in Russia, uh, this is also a problem because they, they are believing in conspiracy theories, as our Russian colleague um, uh, Mitrofanova found out. And um, it's from my understanding, everything in life deals with respect and um, you can you can tell a lot but um, the words have to uh, the actions have to be suited by the words is this the right phrase I don't know <laughs> if I use the right English phrase so people talk a lot but when it comes to action um, mm -hmm. they don't show these deeds 
Um, yeah. And um, so um, religious actors become very mistrustful and I can understand it uh, from a scholarly perspective because we are dealing with um, high value and high um, ethic standards. And yep. um, um, maybe I can give you an example from my field research. When I was in a mosque, and, and this mosque was very famous in uh, France, and it was known uh, for um, a lot of people going there, and some of them, not, not everybody, but some of them went abroad and joined um, Daesh. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I had a very contact, good contact to uh, several uh, persons who were quite well known and uh, who have a lot of influence in this community. And they asked me, Nina, if, what, sh what shall we do? If uh, we want to talk here about religion, journalists are coming. And you know, they, mm -hmm. are, they are doing records of our uh, speeches and they, uh, they don't ask us for permission. And um, how can we trust journalists at first? Then yeah. uh, so-called social workers come here and they are rec making records of everything we are talking about. So without our permission, how can we trust them? Mm. Scholars are coming, so-called scholars. You never know who they are. <laughs> are they journalists? Are they social mm -hmm. workers? You know, are they scientists? How can we trust these people if they don't ask for our permission, if they don't give us the respect we deserve like every human being? And um, how can we build these bridges with them if they don't um, give us the transparency that we need? And I said, okay, I can understand this point. And if this would happen, I would say, okay, this is uh, the right of my mosque and I will, um, I will ask you to go out because I uh, don't want you to record what I say yeah. without my permission. Okay. But on the other hand, I also said to these people, um, you have to give transparency as well because if nobody knows what you are talking about, if nobody knows what contents you are imparting. If nobody knows what you are talking with people behind the curtains, how can people trust you? So it is giving and taking. And um, I think um, this is very simple. Uh, you know, we don't have to write very uh, yeah. uh, pretty uh, much uh, uh, scholarly uh, concepts about it. It's just to be a human being to a human being. Um, and to look at somebody in his eyes and to trust somebody and to, um, to be on the same level. <clears throat> but as far as you don't do it, because um, in many, many, many PVE and CVE programs, religious actors are seen as people, as second class people, because they are religious, they are mm -hmm. seen as dumb they are seen as uh, too emotional uh, and so on and so forth. And okay, of course, everywhere can be people who are too emotional, <laughs> not uh, yep. intelligent enough and, and so on. Um, but on the other hand, um, if you have the feeling, the constant feeling that you are not um, respected 
you will not trust and you will not change and you will not work together with somebody else. And this might be the basic principle to um, see each other on the same level. I have experiences, for instance, in the UK where people are invited to uh, governmental conferences. There mm -hmm. might be some voices who don't want to invite them, but others are. And we, from my experience, and I've worked over 10 years in this milieu, um, it, it, this was a good idea because they were, have been respected, they have been named in, named in the public, um, and um, they have seen they are, um, you know, it, it's good for their, um, for their self-understanding and also for their standing in the community. Because otherwise, if you are never invited to a governmental conference, if you're never invited officially in something, but only uh, under the table, people call you <laughs> and ask you for help, yeah. etc. Um, your community will not give you um, the support because they say uh, you're not only a traitor, you may be also a stupid person because people are only using you. So yeah. um, you have to work together with the people and um, you have, have to be honest. But this, um, how could I say this diplomatically? This would mean that you have sincere um, expectation and not only, um, you know, you want to have a, a very short success and you don't, you're not interested in the long term and you're not interested uh, in religions. You don't have to be a religious scholar. Okay, we have enough of them. <laughs> Look at me, you know. I am a religious scholar. I, I know what I'm talking about. But um, um, regardless of the fact, if you are respecting religious people or faith or belief, uh, belief systems or not, you have to respect the person, uh, him or herself. And um, this is always always or pretty much a lack in these concepts. It's, it's getting better. But mm -hmm. um, for instance, if you're looking at this topic, um, religiously motivated extremism, what is behind this religiously uh, motivated extremism label? In, in reality, it is Islam. Mm -hmm. So uh, people are coming to these prevention, uh, uh, um, uh, prevention programs and they are saying, okay, why should we work with you? Because uh, you're not caring for uh, Buddhist fundamentalists. You're not caring for Jewish fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. You have no clue about Christian fundamentalists. But you only want to, uh, to work with Islamic extremists. And maybe um, there are currently some more um, in the Islamic uh, environment than in the um, other religious um, influenced violence, uh, environments. But um, it is not fair to use these labels. And I have experiences myself. I'm um, working in, um, um, and I have also worked in such uh, programs. And um, you cannot connect with imams because uh, they don't trust you. And they don't trust you for a reason, because uh, you are using a label which is in fact meaning Islam and not all of the religious um, um, extremism tackling. So um, that is not fair, but it is a label that can be sold very good um, in terms of governmental programs and also in terms of non-governmental programs to get a lot of money. And then 
we experienced there came people who um, whose family members have been um, radicalized by Christian fundamentalists and most of um, the social workers and the people working in this PVE program said, oh, maybe you come next year, but I'm sorry, um, my son is gone now, <laughs> I need help now. Yes, but mm -hmm. uh, is Christian fundamentalism really existing? So, <laughs> please, um, this is not good. You know, you have to be aware of all the colors of religious fundamentalism. Otherwise, uh, you're just using a label and you cannot be of help for people in need. And that is what you have to do. Okay, so these are great insights, Nina. Thank you. And uh, I, I agree with you that, you know, putting the religious figures as a, in an inferior position yeah. and then expecting them to cooperate with you and collaborate on these kind of CV and PV programs um, is not that meaningful, right? Because yeah. you need to have this kind of trust and confidence between you and these people. Nina, I really enjoyed listening to you and having this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And um, hopefully we are going to meet in the future again for another podcast. Thank you, Nina. Thank you very much. Sue.